0: You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. This is episode 10. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the best places to buy photography gear on a budget, what lenses should you buy, and how to get quality glass for little money. All this on episode 10 of the Liam Photography Podcast. Welcome once again to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 10. I want to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and any other podcatchers that you might be using. Now, our first subject for this episode of the Liam Photography Podcast is best places to buy photography gear on a budget. I frequently get presented with this question by uh, uh, new photographers on Facebook groups that I'm on, as well as via email. I'm tightly affiliated with the college where I got my bachelor's degree in photography, and I was also the school's only alumni ambassador, so I wrote weekly blog posts for their website, and I also was available for new students to come to and ask me questions, on classes, software, uh, photography gear, you know, where they could get the most bang for their buck, and so on. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, one of the, there's a few good places where you can get photography gear on a budget, and I'm sure most of you are probably already familiar with some of these sources, but we're going to talk about them again anyways. Uh, The first one is Craigslist. Now, Craigslist can be a great place to get photography gear on a budget. A lot of times you'll see, especially if you live in a larger market like I'm in the Atlanta area, it's not uncommon to do a search on Craigslist for photography gear, even if you narrow down the search to a specific uh, maker, such as Canon, Nikon, Sony, Fuji, whatever the case may be. But it's not uncommon to do a search on the Atlanta area Craigslist site and come up with listings for photography gear. Now, sometimes they may sound a little bit too good to be true, and there's always that possibility. But the big thing that I, that the point I want to make about this is when you're in a larger market like I am, and, you know, there's other large markets like Chicago, New York, uh, Los Angeles, and so on, is it's not uncommon to find young filmmakers that will buy a bunch of photography uh, gear that can double as videography equipment. And they might buy this gear to shoot, you know, a few music, music videos for a band or something like that. And then when they're done with the project, they need to recoup the money they spent on the gear. So they'll put the stuff on Craigslist and sell it off. And so that can be a great source for finding good quality photography gear, both camera bodies and lenses, as well as lighting and accessories uh, for reasonable prices. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, I mean, if you see a $5,000 camera being listed on Craigslist for $1,200, then yeah, it's probably somebody trying to scam you out of your money, which leads me to the the next point about uh, Craigslist, is you want to make sure you're always a safe buyer or seller, either one. So it's always a good idea to meet the other person at a public place. And in a lot of areas these days, because of the prevalence of Craigslist and people getting scammed or attacked and stuff like that in the past, um, a lot of areas like where I live in the Atlanta area, the local police departments will have an area of their parking lot that's specifically for people to meet up for Craigslist, let go, offer up, stuff like that and these parking lots are well lit. It's right outside the police station. There's security cameras in every corner of the parking lot, and they're high-res cameras that'll get license plate numbers and all of that good stuff. The cameras are tied into facial recognition software and all of those things. Um, so, they can it can provide you a much safer place to do business if you're meeting up with somebody from an online medium. Um, like I mentioned, uh, uh, like Craigslist offer up, let go, and all these other ones that are constantly popping up. So, you know, I do want you to be safe uh, when you're going to meet somebody uh, for the first time in person to possibly buy or sell gear or any other items that you're trying to get rid of. You know, I don't want any of my listeners to get attacked, especially women. I always recommend women be as safe as possible. Uh, Take a husband, boyfriend, brother, uncle, your dad, whatever with you, um, and then still meet someplace safe, uh, a public place to be as safe as possible. Now, as I mentioned, you can find some really great deals on uh, Craigslist on photography, uh, you know, bodies, lenses, um, lighting, light stands, all kinds of accessories. Sometimes you'll find people selling backdrop systems they no longer use on there with different colored backdrops or maybe theme backdrops, you know, because it could be somebody that was a, a professional family portrait photographer and, you know, they did family portraits for 30 years and now they're retiring, they're getting out of the business. So, They might have a lot of really cool themed backdrops, like ones for Christmas or ones for, you know, senior portraits um, and stuff like that, that you can pick up for a really good price, and you get the backdrops and the frame system and the whole whole ball of wax all together. So you can find some really great deals there. Now, the next place that I'm sure most of you are aware of is eBay, of course. Um, eBay's been around for many, many years, and being that eBay is partnered with PayPal, is their payment system. You're you're fairly well protected there. They offer buyer and seller protection. And you can find some really good deals on eBay. Um, And mostly it's because on eBay, it's a much wider audience. It's a much larger marketplace. Uh, Now, I'm not saying that Craigslist isn't large, but most people are looking to buy and sell off a subsection of Craigslist that's specific to their area, their city, town, county, whatever the case may be. You know, if you're in a small state, it might be just a, there might be only one Craigslist page, a subpage for your whole state if you're from a really small state like Rhode Island, maybe. And I'm not saying that to pick on Rhode Island, so I don't want to get a bunch of hate mail about that. (laughs) Um, But eBay, of course, you know, they've been around for a long time and it's an international platform. So if you're, if you're totally fine and comfortable with with buying gear from uh, foreign sellers or selling to people overseas, that can be a great way to uh, buy your gear. Uh, and again, I'm trying to focus on mostly buying gear um, and getting the most bang for your buck. Um, and the and the great part with that is is like I said, you could be on the East Coast and you might find you know. Uh, a Nikon D850 or a Canon 5D Mark IV that's gently used. Now, sometimes they're going to have really high shutter counts because, uh, you know, the seller, you know, used the daylights out of it, you know, as part of their full-time gig. Um, so you wanna, you're want probably going to want to steer away from that because if it's got a really high shutter count, then more than likely you're going to buy it, use it for a little bit. The shutter is going to go out in it. You're going to have to send it off to Canon or Nikon to get the shutter replaced. That's going to cost you a few hundred bucks, whatever the case may be. But again, the nice thing is you can be on the East Coast and you can buy from a seller on the West Coast. Now, one of the reasons why I generally don't recommend buying camera bodies um, and lenses from foreign sellers is you don't know what you're getting. So in other words, when you buy from a seller here in the United States, for example, um, depending on how old the piece of equipment is, you could still get a portion of the original manufacturer's warranty as the second owner of that camera body, um, just to give you an example. And the other thing you can run into is when you buy from foreign sellers, they could be selling gray market stuff. Um, now, gray market gear is gear that wasn't originally meant to be sold in the United States market. It was meant to be sold in Australia or Japan or China or wherever on the planet, but. Basically not here in the U.S. Now, what that means is, is you don't get any kind of U.S. warranty. So especially if you're buying new stuff, you want to stick to stuff that was actually intended to be sold on the U.S. uh, market or better yet, the North American market is generally how most of the manufacturers do it. Um, I know Canon, when you buy brand new gear from them and you open up the box and pull out the warranty paperwork, it says to be sold in the United States and Canada only. So then it's more of a matter of it's a North America warranty. But you get my point. So eBay is another great way that you can buy uh, photography gear for a reasonable price, you know, and you can stretch your dollar a little bit farther. Now, another place that you might not be aware of, and again, it's going to depend on where you live. If you're in a larger market area or a smaller, small town area, you know, that's more rural, versus urban. You know, it's going to vary, so maybe you know about this, maybe you don't. You may have these in your area, and you've never really thought of it before, but another great source of used photography gear on a budget can be local pawn shops. Now, as I mentioned earlier, and you already know from previous episodes, I live in the Atlanta metro area, and in Atlanta we have thousands of pawn shops. Um, and as a matter of fact, when I moved here from Pennsylvania almost 14 years ago, I started out working in the IT department for a small chain of corporate pawn stores. And the nice thing about going and browsing at your local pawn shops is sometimes these pawn shops don't realize what they have. So, and they're getting a little smarter about it in some areas in other areas, not so much, um, you know, where they will they'll get the serial number off the camera body. They have to write down the serial number anyways and file it with the paperwork in case it comes back as as, uh, stolen. Um, But they don't always, they aren't always the best at looking up that particular camera body or that particular lens. And then even if they are semi-successful at looking it up, they don't always come to the right conclusion as far as its value. Um, So when somebody pawns photography gear and then forfeits it. Basically, they never pay the interest or redeem it um, by paying the pawn shop back, you know, what they borrowed plus interest. That equipment becomes forfeit. So then after a certain amount of time, the pawn shop owns that gear. And after the legal requirements, however many days they have to wait, whether it's 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, that equipment now belongs to them and they can put it out in their display cases and they can sell it to try to recoup the money that they loaned, you know, Joe Smith, who originally pawned it. And uh, frequently they'll be successful at recouping all of their money, but sometimes um, just because pawn shops aren't always where somebody's going to go to look for photography gear, you know, a camera body or a nice lens might sit in that display case in that pawn shop for quite a long time before there's any serious interest from somebody to buy it. And what happens is the longer that piece of equipment sits for sale in that pawn shop and is taking up counter space or display case, uh, real estate, if you will, the more they're going to lower the price gradually over time, like every 30 days or every 60 days, um, they're going to lower the price by a certain percentage to try to finally get that item out the door, recoup most of their money or, or, you know, suffer as minimal a loss as possible, and get that out of their display case, so they have room for other other items that are going to be coming out of pawn, you know, that were forfeited. So, pawn shops are another great place that you can buy uh, decent photography gear on a budget, and I've scored some real, real bargains at pawn shops in this area. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went to a pawn shop one time, and I was just looking around, I went in there, and I like to go into the ones in my area frequently, and, you know, Couple times a month, and look and see if they have any decent uh, photography gear that's been forfeited. And I've picked up some GoPros that way, and and camera bodies, lenses, and and, and various things, as well as uh, mono lights and stuff like that. But I actually went into a pawn shop one time a few years back, and this particular pawn shop had a mint condition Canon seventy to three hundred IS USM lens. Now, this lens, like I said, it was mint. It didn't have the original Canon box, but the thing was in immaculate condition. It had the original front and rear caps with it. And this was a lens that at the time retailed for $1,000. And I picked it up at a pawn shop in mint condition for $200. And I didn't have to worry about it being stolen because, like I said... When pawn shops take things in on pawn, they have to document the item thoroughly, take pictures of it, the whole ball of wax, take down your information, take a picture of you, get your driver's license, all of that. And then they have to send that information off to local law enforcement. And then the police departments will compare the list of items they get from the pawn shop to stolen goods uh, police reports that they have. And if the serial numbers match up, then, hey, they just found an item that was stolen, know two weeks ago during a home invasion or whatever and now it was pawned at this pawn shop and they can get it back for the victim so you don't have to worry about that if it's been in the pawn shop long enough that it has been forfeited you don't have to worry about it being a stolen item Um, so you don't have to worry about that so I got this lens that was a thousand dollar lens I bought it for two hundred dollars And it was precisely a combination of the pawn shop didn't realize exactly what kind of lens it was or how valuable it was. And it had sat um, after it was forfeited by the original person that pawned it. It had sat in their display case for like six months and nobody had bought it. So I came upon it when I walked into the store to browse looking for photo gear one day. I was like, holy cow, I can't believe. They've got one of these lenses, mint condition and they originally had it marked, um, I believe, for like $290 or something like that, and like I said, I buy from some of the stores in the area on a regular basis, so uh, I uh, asked to see it out of the display case, and I checked it out, and I hooked it up to one of my bodies, because I always believe, even when you're buying from like a pawn shop, take your camera body with you, have one of your camera bodies in the car with you, grab it put the lens on it if it's a lens you're looking to buy, and test the lens right there in the store, make sure there's no issues with it. So I did that. The lens worked perfectly. The image stabilization was was, uh, fantastic. Uh, The lens was still nice and tight when you did your zoom in and zoom out. It didn't make any rattling or any noises. It didn't have a scratch on the glass or any issues of any kind. And uh, I looked at the manager and I said, what's the absolute best price you can give me on this. And he's like, I can let you have it for $200. And I played it cool. I didn't want to let him know. He just he just did me a huge favor. Um, So I paid for it and I took it home and, you know, I scored a great deal. And I still have that lens to this day. Um, it's one of the low telephoto lenses that my girlfriend Janice currently uses with her uh, Canon cameras. And I've since moved up to the 100 to 400 L Mark II edition. So But the lens is still being used today and it's still in great shape and it still works beautifully. So there's another avenue, local pawn shops, where you can get a great deal on photography equipment. The next place I want to talk about, and again, this might not be something that you've thought of, are local photography clubs. Now, again, depending on whether you're in a larger population area, like a fairly major city or a a decent-sized smaller city with a population of like 50,000, or whether you're in a rural area, you know, out in the boonies, you might not have these around, but what has made it easier to find photography clubs is some of the various social media sites, whether it's Facebook um and there's a newer one that's called meetup that's specifically for like clubs and organizations like that so that can be a great way to locate other photographers in your geographic area um and you can not only you know build relationships with these people go out and do like group photo shoots on a weekend you know like what we call photo walks where you go out and walk around um Say, maybe a a small country town on a Saturday afternoon, you know, a bunch of you go out together with your cameras and you just walk around the area and, and take pictures of whatever catches your eye. So, it can not only be photography clubs and meetups can not only be a great source of used gear, but also a great way to meet other photographers in your immediate area and get some networking going on and a little camaraderie and stuff like that. So you definitely don't want to um, not think of that as a possibility of where you can get good used camera gear. Uh, next is another place to consider are your warehouse stores. And I'm talking about like Sam's Club, uh, BJ's, Costco, stores like that. Uh, now, you're going to be buying new gear from these stores, but because they are big retail Uh, big warehouse chains, I should say, and they're usually nationwide chains, you know, like Sam's Club and Costco and stuff like that, they are able to buy new photography gear for a much lower price than a smaller retail store because they're buying in bulk. So, at these places, you're not going to get used gear, but you might be able to get that used, uh, I mean, that new um, Canon or Nikon body and lens kit combo, you know, for $100, $150 cheaper than you can find it at a smaller store, um, whether it's a local electronics store or or whatever the case may be. So, that's another possibility is that you might be able to get a great deal deal there and those warehouse stores. Now, the last um, source I want to talk about is another one that most everybody's familiar with in this day and age. I mean, it is 2019. And that, of course, is Amazon.com. Amazon, again, is a global marketplace, pretty much like eBay. They're massive. And they can also leverage volume buying discounts that other stores can't get. And I know there's going to be people that are going to say, well, Amazon's what's wrong with the world? They're killing the mom and pop businesses. And I agree with that, you know, as far as that goes. But if you're looking to get used gear, or new gear, you can find some great deals on Amazon. And a lot of times you might find a new piece of kit that has a rebate that you didn't know about, and you just find it as you're casually browsing Amazon. And if you frequently, if you just do what I call electronic window shopping on Amazon, or the same kind of things, you know, camera bodies, lenses, lighting equipment, speed lights, light stands, light modifiers... Then each time you go back to Amazon, it's going to give you these little blocks on your homepage that's like, this is what you most recently looked at. And here are some other suggestions based on what you've been looking at on here. So it can be handy that way. Because as I said, as you build up a browsing history on Amazon, then let's say you go back two months from now after you've been looking at you know Fuji camera bodies on there for a while, um, and you... Pull up Amazon one day, and all of a sudden, Fuji's running a rebate on one of their new camera bodies that you had no clue was happening. But Amazon knew about it, and they let you know about it, and bam—you just saved a, you know, a couple three hundred dollars or whatever the case may be. So, Amazon, of course, is another great website where or a great source to buy new and used photography gear. So you can really, um, you can really save yourself some money when you're buying gear for your photography, whether it's a hobby, whether you're a hobbyist or a professional, you can definitely save some money by going any of these uh, avenues that I mentioned in the first part of this episode. Now, getting on to part two of episode 10, I want to also talk about getting quality glass for little money. And the reason why I bring up this section is, like I said, I finished my bachelor's degree in photography. I went to the Art Institute, uh, Pittsburgh online division, and I was the school's only alumni ambassador. So I was there for new students or existing students. Anytime they had a question, they could feel free to shoot me an email, message me on Facebook, whatever the case may be. They could call me if they wanted on my cell phone. Um, and present any questions or concerns they had, and and of course, I got a lot of questions about gear, especially lenses, because if you know anything about photography, it's more about the glass or your lenses than it is about the camera body. Camera bodies, eh, they can be great. You know, this camera body is older, this one has the latest technology, the latest bells and whistles, but the glass is the most important part. And any photographer worth their salt will say, will tell you the same thing, that the glass is the most important thing. And if you invest in good glass, good glass isn't something that you need to replace every year or every two years. The camera manufacturers come out with new bodies pretty much on a yearly basis they'll come out with one or two or three new models each calendar year. And as I've said in a previous episode, you don't need to run out and buy the latest and greatest camera body that Canon or Nikon or wherever you, whatever system you use, you don't need to run out and buy their newest body every year just because they released a new body. I mean, that's crazy. You're going to be wasting money by doing that. Instead, it's far more important to get yourself quality glass. And this segment, I wanted to talk about this in this way, because as I mentioned a moment ago, I would get a lot of students that were still in school full time. It would come to me and say, hey, Liam, where can I get a good deal on glass? I need. I want to have good quality glass. I don't care if it's, you know, prime lenses or zoom lenses. I just want to be able to get decent glass. I don't want to be stuck using the the cheap low-end kit glass that came with my camera body kit that I bought through the school as part of my financial aid package. And so, and I would always tell the students the same thing. There's several different places where you can get good glass for a reasonable price. Now, of course, you have the places that I mentioned previously, and I'm going to expand on those a little bit more. So, let me give you an example. I'm a Canon shooter, as I've mentioned before, and if you know me in the real world, you know I'm a Canon shooter, have been for a long time. In 1987, Canon switched from their previous lens mount, which was called their FD lens mount, to their current EF lens mount system. And when they did that, all of a sudden, As Canon started going forward, releasing new bodies starting in 1987, their newer bodies had this new lens mount, the EF mount. And of course, they split off and did EFS for crop bodies, EF for full frame, which can be used on both bodies. And then they later had EFM for their mirrorless APS-C bodies. And now they have RF, which is for their full frame mirrorless. I don't want to go into all that again. We've, I've talked about it before. But the reason why I wanted to mention this little piece of history, especially on the part of canon, is because, again, getting back to one of the sources I mentioned in the first segment of this episode, pawn shops. I guarantee you that you can go in any local pawn shop in your area to where they, whatever display case, they sell camera uh, bodies and lenses in, and I can almost guarantee You will always find old glass. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying old glass that's garbage. I'm talking, I have gone into pawn shops in the greater Atlanta area, and I have picked up Canon FD mount L glass for a little bit of nothing, because the mount is considered obsolete technology, and the pawn shops didn't know any better lot, like I said, a lot of times they don't know this kind of equipment the way they should if they're going to take it in on pawn. So, they would just, oh yeah, it looks like, you know, high-end photography equipment. We'll take it. We'll take it. They see dollar signs, but they don't know that the equipment they just took in is obsolete technology that's being phased out by the manufacturer as far as an old lens mount in this case. So, it's not unusual to go into a pawn shop, or you can even go on eBay and Amazon and find high-quality Canon lenses, even L lenses, that were FD mounts that, yeah, okay, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, Bill, uh, Liam, why would you tell me to buy this if it's obsolete? Why would you tell me to buy this? Because I'm trying to help you get quality glass for as little money as possible. And even though Canon phased out the FD mount, doesn't mean that glass is useless. And you're thinking, what the heck are you talking about? It's an obsolete mount. How am I going to possibly use that lens unless I buy a camera that's 35, 40 years old? And then I'm stuck with a film camera. I need to be shooting digital. No, no, no. This is where you go to a third-party manufacturer and you get an adapter. And to give you a good example, on uh, Amazon, you can find lens adapters from a company called Photodiox. Now, Photodiox makes a lot of different camera photography related items. They do studio light kits, they do strobes, they do soft boxes, but they also happen to make lens adapters. And you can get a Photodiox Pro lens adapter for Canon FD lenses and this adapter will cost you $34.95. Now, it's been a couple of years since I priced it, so it might be even cheaper now. But you can get that adapter for $34.95, and it will allow you to mount FD mount lenses onto your EF body. So now you can get yourself a high-quality prime lens, let's say an old-school 50 millimeter, 35 millimeter, you know, 2.8. 1.8, whatever the case may be. And you can buy that lens in a pawn shop that they have not been able to get rid of because it's obsolete technology. And I've personally gone into pawn shops and bought six FD lenses from the same pawn shop in a single transaction and only paid twenty twenty-five dollars for all six of them. So you're talking a great bargain there. And especially if you're buying a set of six prime lenses that are high quality glass, they, they're not all scratched up, they're not banged up, they're not, you know, destroyed. They can be an immaculate or reasonably good, you know, with minor wear and tear and blemishes. But as long as that glass is still clean and scratch-free, you can still get life out of that lens. You just need an adapter. So it's not the end of the world. And with that adapter, now the only caveat is, with using an adapter like that, and you're using a manual lens your digital body is going to show zero zero for your aperture because it's not going to be able to translate what aperture you're at because in those days, most all-camera lenses had a mechanical aperture ring on the lens itself that you adjusted to your aperture. But that doesn't make the lens useless just because your body doesn't know what aperture the lens is set for because there's no electronics talking to the body. You can still tell what aperture the lens is is set for by looking at the physical markers on the barrel where the aperture ring is. So you could still get use out of those lenses. And that is a great way that you can get low-cost, high-quality glass when you don't have a lot of money, especially if you're a photography student who's going to school full-time and you don't work at all, or you're only able to work part-time delivering pizzas or something like that, or you work part-time at Walmart or Best Buy, it can be a good way for you to get good quality glass while you're still in school and you don't have a lot of money, but you'll be able to go out when you're shooting your assignments and get amazing images because you will have high-quality glass. It's just glass that's old school, but it doesn't mean it doesn't still have life. A lot of times this gear will still have life for many, many, many decades to come, especially when it's the old school mechanical glass. And that is the end of segment two for episode 10. The last part I want to move on to today is the question, what lenses should I buy? And now this is a question that can be tricky. It can be a tricky one to answer because there's a few things to factor in when you're considering the advice you're going to give somebody when they ask you what kind of lenses they should buy. You need to have an idea of how much of a budget they have, how much money can they afford to spend, and what's your photographic style. Are you going to be shooting portraits? Are you going to be shooting landscapes? Are you going to be shooting sports? Are you going to be doing astrophotography, star trails, time lapse? You know, there's all kinds of of genres in photography. It's a very, very broad artistic medium. So, those are some of the things that you have to find out first. I have to find out from a a young photographer that's just starting out before. I can give them a decent answer to that question. So, as I mentioned a moment ago, for example, if if you love to shoot landscapes, if that's your thing, and especially if you're mostly a hobbyist, um, this day and age, it's it's fairly hard to make money as a landscape photographer unless you're already world famous, and then you can sell massive prints and still make money at it. But it's kind of hard to get into that as a paying genre. So a lot of times, even professional photographers, they will do portraits or something else that pays the bills and puts food on the table, but. Maybe they like to shoot landscapes just for themselves, because they like to be out in nature, which is something I like to do. So, there again, and I'm gonna use Canon as the example, um, and Nikon, I can interchange the two somewhat, um, because here we're talking about lenses. So, if you shoot landscapes, and you're using a full-frame Canon camera, one of the best landscape lenses you can get and it's also an L lens, which is Canon's luxury line of lenses, but won't break the bank. Is the 17 to 40 f/4. And it's a great lens. It's a wide telephoto, so it goes from 17 millimeters to 40 millimeters. It's an f/4 fixed aperture, um, so it's not made for low light. But generally, if you're a landscape shooter, you're either shooting long exposures or you're in heavy sunlight, where you don't need to worry about only having an f4 aperture versus a 2.8 or a 1.2 or a 1.4. Okay, so that's not a concern. Now, if you're on the crop body side of things in the Canon family, uh, one of the most popular landscape lenses in the APS-C Canon bodies, or to use with the Canon bodies on the crop factor bodies, was the 10 to 22 millimeter. Well, that has now been phased out, discontinued by Canon, and they actually replaced it with a much better 10 to 18 millimeter. And that new lens is really inexpensive. It's, I think, barely 300 bucks. It's considered one of Canon's lowest end lenses. In other words, it's a kit lens that you can sometimes get with the body for free but it makes amazing images and it has their newer STM silent stepper motor for the autofocus motor in it so it makes very little noise when you're using it so you can get great landscape images with either the 17 to 40 f4 or the 10 to 18 f3.5 to 5.6 they're both fantastic lenses and you can pretty much find lenses in this similar focal length ranges in all the manufacturers. So, it doesn't matter if you're shooting Canon or Nikon or Sony, you're going to be able to find a similar focal length range for shooting landscapes. Even if you go to Sigma or Tamron and buy, you know, buy third-party lenses, you're going to be able to find something in that vernacular. Now, if you like to shoot wildlife or anything else that requires more reach, you can look at getting a 70 to 200 and Canon for example makes the 70 to 200 in both an F4 and an F2.8 model with and without image stabilization of course the 70 to 200 F2.8 with image stabilization is the most expensive of those lenses and it also weighs the most but you can oftentimes find a used 70 to 200 F4L without image stabilization for a little bit of money uh, I this is a lens that I'm talking, you can probably pick up today used for four or $500 maybe. Maybe even less. It depends. Um, as long as it's not beat up too badly, you know, because you don't want to get one that's badly damaged and got issues with the glass. But the other nice thing about 70-200 to 200 is you have the most popular focal lengths in this single lens. So when you got 70 to 200 millimeters, well, guess what? The most common focal lengths for portraits are 85 and 135. Now, some people will say, especially the Nikon shooters will say, well, I like the 105 Nikon portrait lens. That's a great lens. And it's true. I'm not saying it's not a good lens. But my point is, if you own a 70 to 200, you're covering 85, 105, 135. Those are three of the most common portraiture focal lengths. And so you've got three of the major portrait, the three major portrait focal lengths covered in one piece of glass. And again, it doesn't matter if it's an F4 or F2.8. Sure, the F2.8 is two stops wider, so it allows two stops more light in, than the, the F4 model. But especially if you're shooting outdoors, you're doing outdoor portraits or you're doing portraits using studio lighting or speed lights or whatever the case may be. You're still going to be able to make amazing portraits, even with the F4 model. And again, if you go to Tamron Tamron or Sigma, you can buy their 70 to 200 F2.8 for quite a bit less with with their version of image stabilization, whether it's called vibration reduction or whatever the case may be. You can still buy a 70 to 200 f2.8 with image stabilization brand new for a lot less money than you can buy it from Canon, Nikon, or Sony. So you also got to consider that. I mean, if you want an f2.8 lens and you're going to buy from Canon or Nikon, whoever is the manufacturer of the body, you're going to be looking at spending, you know, two to $3,000, maybe $4,000, just depends. But again, if you go with the F4 model or if you go with a third party builder F2.8, you're going to save quite a bit of money. And of course, you're going to save the most if you go with the F4 version. Um, But F2.8, you know, if if the Canon F2.8 with image stabilization is $2,000 and Tamron is currently selling their 70 to 200 F2.8 with image stabilization G2, which is their latest model for 1200 bucks you just saved eight hundred dollars and you still got a brand new 70 to 200 f 2.8 so you definitely got to look at that as well and now if you want a little more flexibility you can go with a couple of other um, telephoto lenses short shorter, or medium telephotos another extremely popular Canon lens and my girlfriend absolutely loves this one um, I bought this lens a number of years ago got it for a great deal used and we recently sent it off to Canon because I'm a CPS Gold member, and I had Canon disassemble the lens, clean the glass because it was starting to get specks inside on the inside of the of the glass that you couldn't clean out. It was starting to show up in her images, so she was getting frustrated. But anyways, I sent it off to Canon CPS, and they tore the lens apart, cleaned the glass, polished it up replaced the seals and the lens barrel assembly, you know, for the zoom and all that stuff. And she got it back and the glass is not only crystal clear and like brand new again, but the lens, and don't get me wrong, the lens wasn't worn out to begin with because it hadn't had a tremendous amount of use, even though it's a discontinued model. But she was so happy when we got it back from Canon because it's as tight as a brand new lens now. And I I told her, I said, look, you're going to get another 20 years use out of this lens easily. Now that canons cleaned it and and basically rebuilt it for us and you know with my discount as a cps member it cost me less than 90 bucks to get this lens which at one time brand new sold for i don't know 500 bucks because it's one of their usm gold lenses uh, with image stabilization you know it sold for five six seven hundred dollars at one time whatever the case may be i got it originally a few years ago for less than 200 bucks and I spent less than 90 to get it rebuilt, and she'll be able to continue enjoying that lens for another 20 years. So that's another thing to consider. Now, if you're going to be mostly a portrait photographer, then as I mentioned earlier, there's specific lenses in the prime category. And what I mean by prime are lenses that are a fixed focal length. They don't have zoom. It's the same focal length all the time. Then there's going to be certain lenses that you're going to want to buy as a mostly portrait photographer. Now, different people have different opinions on this. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. It's whatever works for you, gets you the look or feel that you want and makes your clients happy. Um, And the reason why I say that is because, as I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, 85 millimeters, 105 millimeters, 135 millimeters are common portrait focal lengths. And in the Canon world, Canon has a 135 millimeter f F2L portrait lens. That's a fantastic lens. I've got that lens. Oh, it makes beautiful portraits. And it's got a bit of a reach to it. So you can stand back from your subject and get a nice tight shot of them and fantastic bokeh in the background with the F2 aperture. So that's a fantastic lens. Um, But some photographers, they like to shoot their portraits at 50 millimeters. And no matter who the manufacturer is, again, most manufacturers will have more than one version of a 50 millimeter lens. So, again, in the world of Canon, which is what I shoot, Canon currently makes, well, actually now I should say they officially now make four 50 millimeter lenses, and I'm going to explain here. So you have the 50 millimeter lens that maybe you've heard of before. It's called the Nifty 50 or the Plastic Fantastic. This is Canon's least expensive 50 millimeter prime lens. It's mostly plastic. It's like one of the inexpensive kit lenses. It's an F 1.8, so it's got a really wide aperture. So it's great for low light situations. And it does make really really good images and it's a lens that you can buy brand new for like 120 bucks or something like that. Then their next 50 millimeter lens up from that one is one I had a number of years ago, which is their 50 millimeter 1.4 USM. So this is one of their Canon's gold band lenses. and if you're familiar with Canon's lenses at all, Canon basically has, Silver is their low-end lenses, anything with a silver band. If it's got a gold band, it's their medium range lenses as far as build quality and price and cost and all of that. And then L, of course, is Canon's luxury lenses and they're the ones that people are familiar with. that have the bright red ring around them. So, the EF 50mm 1.4 is one of their USM lenses, so it's a gold band. New, the lens will run you probably around $325 to maybe $350. Although I'm pretty sure you can find it um, regularly on Amazon for maybe even as low as $300. Or maybe, you know, just a little bit under $300 uh, today. But that is a great 50 millimeter lens. And a lot of people like to use, as I mentioned a moment ago, 50 millimeters for portraits. Um, especially if you like to also do street photography. Uh, 35 millimeter and 50 millimeter are very popular prime lenses for street photographers. So now you have the 50 millimeter 1.4. Uh, I know it's only 0.4 wider aperture, but that can make a lot of difference. And you're going to get even more deliciously creamy bokeh in background blur. So then from there, you had the Canon 50 millimeter 1.4 or 1.2, excuse me, 1.2 L and canon has made that lens for quite a long time i've got that one it's a great lens um and some people complain that it's not sharp enough it's not tack sharp or that it has slight chronomatic aberrations and i don't have that with mine so i'm thinking it's possible maybe even though canon hasn't released a second generation or a second or a mark ii of this lens that maybe over the years, because they've been making it for so long, maybe they made little tweaks to um, later production runs of the lens, but they didn't change it enough or mo- or, or replace enough of the uh, glass elements to call it a Mark II version. But it was more refined than the original production run that maybe had some of these issues, because I don't seem to have those issues with mine. But... So, then you had the 50mm 1.2L, the EF mount, which is what I have. And now, because Canon has recently gotten into the world of full-frame mirrorless cameras, they've actually released an RF 50mm 1.2L. And the reviews are that it's a phenomenal lens, and it does look like a fantastic lens. It's the, the luxury line, so the build quality is excellent. But it's also got what I mentioned in one of my earlier episodes, a ridiculously high price tag. So you can go on Amazon and or even on Canon's website and you can buy a brand new EF 50mm 1.2L for $1,299, $1,300. And you can buy them used for eight dollars $900 frequently. Um, but their new RF 50 millimeter 1.2L, which is the same mount diameter. The RF and the EF are the same mount diameter. Um, but it has, a, of course, the RF version has a control ring. And it's got maybe a new glass, a, a new set of glass elements they came out with. But to me, that doesn't denote the $1,000 higher price. So, yeah, you're, you're not hallucinating. You heard me correctly. The EF 50mm 1.2L, brand new, is $1,299, $1,300. And the RF 50mm 1.2L is $2,300. That's a major jump in price right there. But, again, there you go. So, as I mentioned uh, briefly a, a little bit ago, um, Canon now technically has four millimeter lenses. Um, So, you've got the Nifty 50 or Plastic Fantastic at F1.8. You got the F1.4 USM gold band. And then you've got two versions of the 1.2L luxury lens in either EF mount or RF mount. So, and it's the same with all of your other manufacturers. Nikon, you know, Sony, Fuji, and most all the manufacturers offer like a low-cost f1.8 50 millimeter lens and then they also have a a 1.4 or a 1.2 more expensive better quality model that has better lens elements you know better glass in it and better coating and all of that good stuff so that's the other uh a thing to look at if you're going to be doing mostly portraits and then of course you can also look at getting an 85 millimeter uh portrait lens I have one of those. I have the 85mm uh, f1.8 USM gold band lens. I've always wanted the the L lens in 85 millimeter, but I've read a lot of articles and talked to a lot of photographers. Uh, Canon has released two versions of the 85mm 1.2 L, and both of them had issues. They had issues with chronomatic aberrations and they had issues with the with being soft um and the autofocus in them was kind of slow and sluggish for an L lens um it got a little bit better in the mark ii version but not significantly better and then just um, in the last year i think uh canon released a new 85 millimeter f 1.4 L lens that also has image stabilization and of course it's not a cheap lens so i haven't bought one yet um i get i don't do a ton of portrait photography and when I do, I get fantastic results from the 85 1.8 USM. And I've even had other photographers tell me, you know, hey, to be honest, for the amount of money you spent, you can't get a better lens than the 85 1.8 USM. So I stuck with that one. So I've got that one. And then I've got the, the 135 millimeter F2L. And as I said a little bit ago, a little bit earlier in this segment, Um, A lot of Nikon shooters like to use the 105mm f1.4 G, I think it is, lens. If I remember it, it has the G designation to it. And so that's an extremely popular portrait lens that has a little bit of reach um, for Nikon shooters. So there are a lot of different things to consider. Like I said, uh, mostly what your photographic style is and what you want to shoot are going to be the biggest determining factors in what lenses I or anybody else can recommend that you buy. So, keep that in mind the next time, you know, you reach out to somebody like myself or or any other photographer or, or any of your photography professors, if you're in school to get your photography degree or certificate, keep that in mind, you know, before you bring up that, that pose that question to them. And like I said earlier, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach out to me. Um, I'm on Facebook under Liam Photography Podcast uh, Facebook group. Um, I also have the website liamphotography.com. So you can comment on there uh, or contact me via the podcast website. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at liamphotoatl. So uh, don't be shy. Feel free to, to shoot me a message and and ask me for recommendations on lenses. But as I, you know, as I said, keep in mind that you want to have an idea of what your style is going to be, or maybe you want to shoot a little bit in two or three different styles or genres, whether it's landscape and portrait and then astrophotography, you know, or maybe you just want to do landscapes and portraits or you want to do portraits and, um, product photography in a studio. Um, keep those things in mind. um, when you reach out to me or anybody else to ask uh, for lens recommendations and and myself and i'm sure most anybody else in the photography community would be happy to answer that question just like i said make sure you keep in mind you know have an idea what your style is what genre you want to you want to specialize in and what your budget is and then you'll be able to get a sincere answer um, and good recommendations whether it's from myself or anybody else that you know that, that is in photography, either as a profession or as a serious hobbyist. All right. And with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 10 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank my listeners again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher, any other podcatchers you might be using. And again, you can reach out to me uh, via the Liam Photography website, as well as listen to past episodes on the website. You can also do a search for Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group on Facebook and request to join. You do have to answer a question in order to join, but the question is a simple one. You just have to know the first name of the host, which is me, Liam Douglas. So it's fairly easy to uh, join that, that private group. And I will uh, see you next time in episode 11.